0: Hi, guys. Thanks, Rachel's face. Um, did you guys have a good Easter weekend? Yes. Me too. Uh, it is so great just to be able to kind of focus on Easter weekend, on the cross and the empty tomb and all that that means for us. So, just a reminder as we now I don't know what it's like for you. Maybe for you, you wait for Christmas and then Christmas gets here and then it's kind of downhill from there. For me, I wait for Easter. Easter is my biggest day of the year. And when after Easter comes, I kind of exhale, like most pastors, collapse at the end of the Easter weekend. And and it can be really easy to just sort of like leave all that behind. He's risen, the resurrection power, all that kind of stuff. We did that on Easter. But guys, let's not forget the point. The point of the empty tomb is that you and I can have life today. And so I just want to encourage you. Let's hang on to to the fact that Jesus is alive and he's alive in us. Amen. Um, So we're in the book of Genesis. We've been uh, traipsing through the book of Genesis. took a break for Easter weekend, but we are back to it today. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 31. So if you brought a Bible or some kind of device with a Bible on it, now's the time to go to Genesis chapter 31. Let me bring you up to speed a little bit. Um, First of all, we've been looking at the life of Jacob, and it has now been 20 years since Jacob showed up in the land of his ancestors, his forefathers, and uh, met his well wives, uh, and started his family, right? He had he had to work seven years to get a wife, but he got tricked. He had to work another seven years for a second wife, and now he's been working another six years since then, all for his father-in-law, this guy named Laban. And God has given him all kinds of blessing. He, he has these two wives, sisters, uh, uh, Rachel and Leah. And then uh, through them, there's come a number of children now. And there's also, I mean, these are weird stories. I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to pretend this is not weird. But not only does this guy marry two sisters But each of them has a maidservant that they also gave him sort of as a concubine so that he could have a bunch of kids. And you and I look at that and go, oh my gosh, that's weird. Oh my gosh, that's strange. That can't be how God does stuff. And all I can say is, apparently sometimes he does. Uh, These 12 tribes of Israel come out of these four women the wives of Jacob, and God has been blessing Jacob, and God has been increasing his wealth, and God has been honoring his hard work, and all of that kind of stuff, and now there's a slew of children, Um, we know about 12 sons that he has, but there's also a bunch of daughters, a couple of them get mentioned in the story but they don't show up in the genealogies and we don't hear a ton about them. But now this is becoming a really big family. He has this father-in-law whose name is Laban, who is not only his father-in-law, but also his boss. He had to work for his father-in-law in in order to marry the guy's daughters. And so he's been serving this guy for 20 years and Laban has been anything but a good father-in-law. He has been anything but a good boss. He has been deceptive. He has been manipulative. He has been controlling. He has done everything he possibly could to keep Jacob down and to steal Jacob's wealth for himself. But God keeps stepping in and intervening and blessing Jacob. And so now he's starting, as we get to chapter 31, starting to hear rumors that are making him uncomfortable and he starts to notice an attitude change in his father-in-law that is also making him uncomfortable and as we get to chapter 31 we find Jacob on a business trip now if you are a shepherd a business trip is when you take the flocks out to graze or perhaps for shearing that's where he is when we meet him. But I've noticed that a lot of times it's when we get away from our everyday regular stuff that that's when we get out of our routine and we start to pay attention to the voice of God. And we're going to see him on this business trip um, confronted with the voice of God. Verse uh, Chapter 31, verse 1. Now Jacob heard the words of Laban's sons saying, Jacob has taken away all that, our, all that was our father's. And from what belonged to our father, he has made all this wealth. And Jacob saw the attitude of Laban, and behold, it was not friendly toward him as formerly. Then the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your relatives, and I will be with you. So we have Jacob's sons, I mean Laban's sons. We haven't heard about these guys up until now. We've just seen these daughters. But he has a bunch of sons also. And the sons are watching Jacob, their brother in law, get rich working for their dad. And they're thinking, this is my inheritance. This guy, this foreigner, this outsider who came and joined our family is getting all the wealth and dad is not managing this well and Jacob is going to be the one who ends up with all the wealth and not us. So they're starting to get nervous and uh, Laban's attitude is changing. Now remember, Laban has been trying to rip off Jacob for years but God keeps blessing him and blessing him and blessing him. You remember a couple of weeks ago when Pastor Byron was uh, preaching on chapter 30, he was telling us about how this totally weird, bizarre situation where he would he would put these reeds near his uh, sheep and, and he would cut stripes in the reeds and then all of the the sheep that mated near those striped reeds would come out striped and his pay was striped, right? And then later they would change his pay so where he got the speckled ones and then God would bless his sheep so that they would breed speckled ones. And so Jacob uh, was being blessed even though Laban had kept trying to rip him off and rip him off and rip him off. Now Laban's sons are starting to grumble and things are starting to look bad for Jacob. And Jacob has noticed that that even Laban's attitude toward him has soured significantly. And that's when God steps in and speaks to Jacob in verse three. Then the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your relatives, and I will be with you. It's time to go back. It's time to go back to the promised land. It's time to go back and start to experience this promise that God had made to Abraham and to Isaac and now to Jacob. It's time to go back to your father's household. Remember, he's been gone for 20 years. Why did he leave? Because his brother wants to kill him, right? He stole his brother's blessing, and his brother got significantly upset about that and said, You know what? If, I, if it's the last thing I do, I'm going to strangle the life out of that fool. And he decides he is going to kill him one way or another. And so he takes off and he leaves, remember, with just the clothes on his back. He's running for his life. When he left, he was in serious danger. He had committed a serious crime and they were after him. And so now. God comes to him and says, hey, I think it's time for you to go back. Now, a lot has changed in Jacob's life in 20 years. But he has no idea if anything's changed back home. God says, I want you to go back there. He's thinking, well, that's the place I ran from. I may get back there and find wanted posters with my face on them all over town. My brother may still be just as mad as he ever was. I mean, my father's men might be out looking for me. I I don't know what's going to happen. So he stayed away for 20 years. And I think probably he had to work for his wives for 14 years. But these last six years, I'm guessing he was just afraid to go back. And he probably wondered if he was ever going to go back. But now God has spoken to him. And God has given him absolutely crystal clear direction. Now he is being commanded to go back. So what will he do? Will he obey God and go back and face Esau? Or will he go his own way and have to face Laban and his sons and deal with that situation. This turns out to be a pivotal, pivotal moment in Jacob's life. And because we know the story, we know that this also turns out to be a pivotal moment in all of human history. See, it seems like just another day when he got up this morning. It seemed like just another day he's out taking care of the sheep, doing his thing, when suddenly God speaks to him. And when the word of God comes to you and it's crystal clear and it speaks to your exact situation and you know exactly what it is that God wants you to do, that becomes a pivotal moment. And you may not have any idea how pivotal that moment is going to be in your life. You may not have any idea how significant that moment might be in the lives of other people. But let me just tell you something. When God speaks to you and you know it's the voice of God and he's crystal clear, that is a pivotal moment. What you do in that moment is going to to determine a whole lot. Now, Jacob has a hard decision to make. God's word is clear to him. But it's one thing to know God's will, and it's another thing to actually live by it. I wish I had a dollar for every person who said to me, oh, if I only knew God's will. If I just only knew God's will for my life. I just want to know what God's will is. And they're usually thinking something like, should I buy this house or should I keep renting? Or they're thinking, you know, should I I go to, you know, UCLA or USC, that's an obvious one. I shouldn't use that one. You know, or something like that. That's what they're thinking. And 99% of the time, the answer is, do whatever makes the most sense and serve God there. But when we know God's will about something that he's speaking to us about from his word to say, I want this to change in your life. Now get up and do it. Those are the times that we have a hard time saying yes. It's amazing how difficult it can be to actually get up and move when you know that God is speaking to you. And if you've been following Jesus for very long, I'm sure you have stories like I have stories of times when God had to hit me over the head with a two by four again and again and again because he said move and I was hesitating because I had a different plan. I had a different idea. I was uh, filled with fear. I was filled with doubt. I didn't know what to do. And and God is going, hello, I'm speaking to you. Go and do what I told you. You to do. That's where we find Jacob. He has a hard decision to make. Is he going to trust God or not? We we talked about this last week on, on Easter. If you're a follower of Jesus, The same power that rose Jesus from the dead is the power that lives within you in the person of the Holy Spirit. Every follower of Christ is empowered supernaturally to live out God's will for their lives. And we talked about the difference between um, a Ferrari and trying to race on foot. And the Holy Spirit has all this power like a Ferrari. And we're over there with our walker, you know, just taking one little step at a time because we're not so sure that we're ready for what the Holy Spirit is trying to do in our lives. But guys, when God's speaking to you, and and let me be clear. Whenever you say God is speaking to me, it better be in accordance with what the Word of God has to say, okay? So, so don't give me any of this. You know, I, I was just thinking about this, and God showed me that I'm supposed to leave my family and go with this other lady. No, that's not God, right? That's not God. So many times people tell me, you know, the Lord said to me, and I always, the hair on the back of my neck stands up a little bit, and I'm like... What are they going to say now? The Lord said to you, and I hope that they say, while I was reading his word, the Lord said to me, whatever. Because he he speaks to us in his word. But there are times when you could be in the word of God or you could be listening to a message that comes from the word of God and you hear something from God that that just pierces your heart, right? Has there ever been a time for you when you've been sitting listening to a preacher or you've been reading the Bible on your own or, or something and it's just like you know for sure God is speaking to you directly and it's in accordance with his word. Guys, that is the time to act. So often, God makes the point of stirring in our hearts and, and, and drilling his word down into our hearts at a time when he expects us to do something about it. And we go, oh, amen, amen, and our eyes fill with tears and we know that it's us that God is speaking to. And we say, gosh, the, that sermon was just for me today. And then we go home and live exactly like we were living before. When God speaks to you, that's the pivotal moment. That's the time for a decision to be made. That's the time for a step to be taken. Don't be afraid to act when God speaks to you. He's standing at a crossroads right now. God is speaking to him and it's scary. And you know what? It's usually scary when God calls you to something. That's how it is. Sometimes it's hard to decide whether to trust God and do what His Word says or whether to take matters into your own hands and try to manage things yourself. But however hard that may be, rest assured that when you stand at that crossroads where God is speaking to you about something, what you decide to do will determine the direction of the future of your life and maybe many other lives. So Jacob had a decision to make. Let's see what he does. Verse four. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to his flock in the field and said to them, I see your father's attitude that it's not friendly toward me as formerly, but the God of my father has been with me. You know that I have served your father with all my strength. Yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages 10 times. However, God did not allow him to hurt me. If he spoke thus, the speckled shall be your wages, then all the flock brought forth speckled. And if he spoke thus, the striped shall be your wages, then all the flock brought forth striped. Thus God has taken away your father's livestock and given them to me. And it came about at the time when the flock were mating, that I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream, and behold, the male goats were mating where striped, speckled and mottled. When the angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob And I said, here I am. He said, lift up now your eyes and see all the male goats which are mating are striped, speckled, and mottled. And I have seen all that Laban has been doing to you. I am the God of Bethel. Now now make a note of that. I am the God of Bethel. Where's Bethel? Bethel is the place where he slept on a rock on his way to Laban's house, remember? And he had this vision of God, and God made him promises, and he anointed that rock, and he, he said, basically, we'll see. He said, "Yeah, I'll see how it goes. I'll see whether God really takes care of me, whether God can really be trusted, and if he is, he will be my God. Now God is appearing to him again and reminding him who he is and about that promise he made back at Bethel. I am the God of Bethel, verse 13, where you anointed a pillar where you made a vow to me. Now arise, leave this land, and return to the land of your birth. man. This is a brutal situation, particularly for Rachel and Leah. Jacob is basically making his case in a family meeting, and he is basically saying to his wives, essentially, I'm going to propose something that will force you to choose between your devotion to your father and your devotion to me, your husband." And the sad thing is, it didn't have to be this way. This is Laban's fault. He has been trying to control and manipulate his daughter's lives. He has been trying to control and manipulate his son-in-law. He has been trying to do that since day one. Oh, the mistake that we make, parents. When we fail to transition into parenting adults and we keep parenting our adult children as though they were little children and it comes back to bite you every time. Jacob and and the girls should have been able to trust Laban. They should have been able to come to him for advice at a time like this. Hey, we're thinking about relocating, we're thinking about moving, what do you think about this? His daughters never should have been put in a position where they had to choose between their devotion to their husband and their devotion to their parents. That shouldn't have happened. But by the way, that happens a lot in families. And the Bible teaches That whenever you find yourself in that position, you're supposed to leave your father and mother and cleave to your spouse. Genesis 2.24. That's what the scripture says. There is a a going out when when your adult children get married that says they now are in their own family. And they need to work as a family. So be careful, parents. This is just a word from one parent of adults to another. Be careful. You may be trying to just love on your kids by controlling them and manipulating them and guilt tripping them and doing all that kind of stuff. But if you won't treat your grown kids like adults, you'll lose them. They will separate from you. So Laban's girls are put in a really tough position, but the facts spoke for themselves. They had a choice to make. Would they stay true to their vows and love and support their husband, or would they choose to stick with dad? Verse 14, Rachel and Leah said to him, do we still have any portion of inheritance in our father's house? Are we not reckoned by him as foreigners? For he has sold us and has also entirely consumed our purchase price. Surely all the wealth which God has taken away from our father belongs to us and our children. Now then, do whatever it is God has said to you. Do you remember what he did? He, he didn't take a regular bride price for them, which was the custom in that day. And the reason that was a custom was be, would be because if something happened to your husband after you married he died or he left you or something like that your father would have kept a bride price for you a dowry for you that would support you right this was a this was a man's way of promising that he would in fact take care of your daughter when he married her and just to make sure he would pay a bride price for this but but Jacob paid a different kind of bride price didn't he He didn't give him anything. He said, I'll work for you. And he ends up working for seven years and he gets tricked and he works another seven years, right? And so 14 years, guess what? It was all paid in labor. It's gone. And now these girls are saying, this is how our father thinks of us? That he's not even gonna watch out for our best interest? He was just looking for a way to make money? He essentially sold us and used the money. And so they said, Jacob, whatever God has told you to do, let's do it. So it's on. They're going to take off, and they are never going to look back. Look at verse uh, 17. Then Jacob arose and put his children and his wives upon camels. And he drove away all his livestock and all his property, which he had gathered, his acquired livestock, which he had gathered in Padan Aram, to go to the land of Canaan, to his father Isaac. Let's stop there for a second. That's, the, that's telling us the big picture of what's about to happen. He's, he's going to put his family on camels. He's going to gather all of his livestock. He's going to gather all of his belongings, and he's going to take off. The next couple of verses tell us the details of how that went down, right? So verses 17 and 18 give us the big picture. Verses 19 through 21 give us the details, right? Verse 19, when Laban had gone to shear his flock... Then Rachel stole the household idols that were her father's. And Jacob deceived Laban the Aramean by not telling him that he was fleeing. So he fled with all that he had, and he arose and crossed the Euphrates River and set his feet toward the hill country of Gilead. It is the time when you go out to shear sheep. Now I had to do some research to understand this and make this make sense, because I've never sheared a sheep. I don't know anything about shepherding, right? So I did some research to make this make sense because I couldn't understand what just happened. How did they go in and take all their stuff without being noticed? How did they get these household idols without being noticed? What I found is that in, in the ancient Near East, during sheep shearing season, it would actually be a festival. You would go out into the wilderness where the sheep were pasturing and everyone from the household would go and all of the workers would be there and all of the family would be there and it was a giant feast that you would celebrate that you were shearing the sheep and getting all of this wool which was gonna make you such a prophet and all that kind of stuff. So literally what happened was at this time, everybody was gone from the compound. And when, they got, when God told him it's time for you to go, if you're a sports fan, maybe you'll appreciate this. 1984, the Baltimore Colts loaded up like 50 moving vans at 10 o'clock at night and left Baltimore and became the Indianapolis Colts. And no one knew. They woke up in the morning and said, what happened to the Colts? They were gone. That's basically what happened here. They, 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 in the middle of the night, they went when nobody was looking, they gathered all the stuff and they hightailed it. And they got a head start because they knew that would be days before they came back in from the sheep shearing festival to where they would see what had happened. Now, verse 19, when Laban had gone to shear his flock, then Rachel stole the household idols. I already read you that. Sorry. Um, Verse 22, when it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob had fled. So three days before he finds out. It was told Laban on the third day that Jacob had fled. Then he took his kinsmen with him and pursued him a distance of seven days journey. It took him seven days to catch him. And he overtook him in the hill country of Gilead. God came to Laban the Aramean in a dream of the night and said to him, be careful that you do not speak to Jacob either good or bad. Laban caught up with Jacob Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country and Laban with his kinsmen camped in the hill country of Gilead. Then Laban said to Jacob, what have you done by deceiving me and carrying away my daughters like captives of the sword? Why did you flee secretly and deceive me and did not tell me so that I might have sent you away with joy and with songs, with timbrel and with lyre? And did not allow me to kiss my sons and my daughters, meaning his grandchildren. Now you have done foolishly. It is in my power to do you harm. But the God of your father spoke to me last night saying, be careful not to speak either good or bad to Jacob. Well, he's already broken that rule, right? Um, but, but that's a, a colloquialism. It basically means, be careful, don't mess with Laban. That's basically what God is saying, or with Jacob, sorry. Now you have indeed gone away because you longed greatly for your father's house, but why did you steal my gods? Then Jacob replied to Laban, because I was afraid, for I thought you would take your daughters from me by force. That's the answer to the first question. Why did you leave without telling me? Now the second question. Why did you take my gods? The one with whom you find your gods shall not live. In the presence of our kinsmen, point out what is yours among my belongings and take it for yourself. For Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. Now there's going to be trouble, right? Basically, he says, I didn't steal your stupid gods. Now, by the way, let me just. On a little side note, say this, if you serve a God who can be stolen, it's not much of a God. If you, if you serve a God who can be hidden, that's not much of a God. Isn't it great to know that we live in a, in a modern society where we don't worship idols? <laughs> You're ahead of me, aren't you? <laughs> things that you put your trust in, that you devote yourself to that can be taken away from you. I mean, I don't know, things like money. Things like reputation. Things like jobs, careers, all of that kind of stuff. See, we we read this we go these backward people, they worship idols. Yeah. We just do it differently than they do. How stupid is it to serve a God that can be taken away? How stupid is it to serve a God that can be hidden or lost or stolen? That one's free. You can use that on your own. Why do so many of us cling to idols that God can't hold a candle to? But Laban was missing his household gods and he was hopping mad. And, and I have studied this for years, tried to get a pl- to a place where I go, I really understand what these household gods are about and I still don't. There, there's, if I have 100 commentaries on the book of Genesis, there's 95 theories about these gods. Maybe these were literal idols that they worshipped in the home. These are Arameans. So perhaps these are literal gods that they worshipped. More likely, there's some sort of trinket related to their pagan god that they bring home as a good luck charm, kind of the way you'll see people put a little, a little Buddha on their business counter or something like that. Um, or perhaps... The big thing about these gods is not that they were literally gods. They were, they were, that the the Hebrew word really means like um, molded things. So they were some sort of statues, they were some sort of artwork. And and perhaps they didn't have any religious significance at all, but they're made of precious metal, which means they're incredibly valuable. And that makes sense, since it's told that she took the gods right when we're also told that he wasted their bride price and now they had nothing. And so maybe she's getting even. We don't know why Rachel took these idols. We do know this is the very beginning of Jacob and his family becoming followers of God. So whatever it was that was true about their religious confusion was still going on at this point. So we're gonna search for these idols. Verse 33, so Laban went into Jacob's tent. Remember, whoever he finds them with dies. Laban went into Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent and into the tent of the two maids, but he did not find them. Then he went out of Leah's tent and entered Rachel's tent. Now, Rachel had taken the household idols and put them in the camel's saddle, and she sat on them. And Laban felt through all the tent, but did not find them. So they're not in Leah's tent they're not in Rachel's tent. Where else can you look? He's searching all over the the camp. Now, you have to understand, when when the head of the family enters your presence, whatever you're doing, you stop doing, you put down whatever you're holding, and you stand up to honor the patriarch, right? So the appropriate thing for her to do would have been to climb off of this camel and stand up in her father's presence, but she knew what he was looking for, and she knew where they were hidden, right? And she doesn't want to get caught. So she's not going to stand up. Verse 35. Then she said to her father, let not my Lord be angry that I cannot rise before you, for the manner of women is upon me. So he searched, but did not find the household idols. Okay? So if any of you miss that, she's saying, I can't stand up because I'm on my period. Now, you say, does the Bible really say that? Read your own Bible. I, you, you think I want to bring this up in the sermon? You think this is what I want to talk about right now? I'm a guy. I don't ever want to talk about this. <laughs> But there it is right in the Bible. Rachel needed an excuse, so she came up with one that makes men shut up every time. <laughs> 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 she says, the manner of women is upon me. And he goes, I'm going to go talk to somebody else. And, and that's how she manages to avoid This problem, now I'm not gonna suggest that any woman since then has ever used this as an excuse for anything, but whatever. Um, So she doesn't get up, he doesn't check the saddle and he determines that the idols are not there. Now it is Jacob's turn to get mad, verse 36. Then Jacob became angry and contended with Laban and Jacob said to Laban, What is my transgression? What is my sin that you have hotly pursued me? Though you have felt through all my goods, what have you found of all your household goods? Set it there before my kinsmen and your kinsmen, that that we may they may decide between us two. These twenty years I've been with you, your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried, nor have I eaten the rams of your flock. That which was torn of beasts, I did not bring it to you. I bore the loss of it myself. You required it of my hand, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. Thus I was by day, the heat consumed me and the frost by night, and my sleep fled from my eyes. These 20 years I have been in your house, I served you 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your flock, and you changed my wages 10 times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham and and the fear of Isaac had not been for me, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God has seen my affliction and the toil of my hands, and he rendered judgment last night. Let me summarize that speech. Jacob says, dude, you have been ripping me off for 20 years Every time I started to make a profit, you changed my pay plan. Every time I started to do well, you intervened. I have never insisted on my rights. I have always done what was best for your business. I have taken great care of your daughters. Uh, And the whole time, you have been a dirtbag of a father-in-law. And you have been a dirtbag of a boss the entire time. And if it hadn't been for God's hand on me, I would be leaving here penniless. You have been the worst father-in-law anyone could imagine. You have been the worst employer anyone could imagine. And you come to me accusing me of doing wrong by you? What is wrong with you? God has taken care of me, Jacob says. Wow. Apparently, that dream made an impression. God reminded Jacob of their conversation at Bethel where Jacob basically said, if you take care of me, I will worship you and serve you. And now finally he sees God for who God is. And he decides that he's going to serve him for he's no longer afraid of Laban because he knows that God's taking care of him. So he lets Laban have it with both barrels. And when he's finished blasting him, I bet you could have heard a pin drop in the camp. I bet you everyone was standing there with their mouths hanging open. We have never heard anyone talk to dad like that. We have never seen anybody stand up to Laban. And listen to Laban's response, verse 43. Then Laban replied to Jacob, the daughters are my daughters. The children are my children and the flocks are my flocks. And all that you see is mine. But what can I do this day to these my daughters and to their children whom they have born? He hasn't changed a bit. He's he's still this narcissistic, callous dirtbag. He goes, all of this is mine. You talk about your wives, those are my daughters. You talk about your children, those are my grandchildren. I'm the patriarch of this family. You talk about these flocks, these are my flocks. You would have nothing if it wasn't for me. And they're just going back and forth. And Laban is not backing down. He is still the same colossal jerk he was before Jacob confronted him. But I bet he looked around, and I bet he saw that he had no support because everybody knew it was true. Jacob finally stood up to him. His daughters and his grandkids had turned their backs on him. So what could he do? That's what he basically said. What am I supposed to do? Kill my own children? Verse 44. So come now, let us make a covenant. You and I And let it be a witness between you and me. Then Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. Jacob said to his kinsmen, gather stones. So they took stones and made a heap. And they ate there by the heap. Now Laban called it something. But Jacob called it Galid. Laban said, this heap is a witness between you and me this day. Therefore it was named Galid. And Mizpah, for he said, may the Lord watch between you and me when we are absent from uh, the other. If you mistreat my daughters, or if you take wives besides my daughters, although no man is with us, God is witness between you and me. Laban said to Jacob, Behold this heap, and behold the pillar which I have sat between you and me. This heap is a witness, and the pillar is a witness that I will not pass by this heap to you for harm, and you will not pass by this heap and this pillar to me for harm. The God of Abraham and the God of Nahor and the God of their father judge between us. So Jacob swore uh, by the fear of his father Isaac. And Jacob offered a sacrifice on the mountain and called his kinsmen to the meal. And they ate the meal and spent the night on the mountain. Early in the morning, Laban arose and kissed his sons and his daughters and blessed them. Then Laban departed. And returned to his place. And by the way, this is the last mention of Laban in the whole book of Genesis. There there are no stories about the grandkids' high school graduation and Laban came back for that. No stories about family reunions or the the kids' weddings and, and Laban's role in the family He missed out on everything because he had to make everything about him. He had to take advantage of his own family. He had to use the people he should have loved. He just had to. He had to be large and in charge all the time. Even when his kids were grown, he had to be the boss of their lives. And it cost him everything. Laban loved things and used people. And it's supposed to be the other way around. So we say goodbye to Laban here in chapter 31. But we also get to say hello to Jacob. We get to say hello to the new Jacob. The Jacob we've been waiting for. He's born in this chapter Things are going to be different for him from here on out. Something has changed in his relationship with God. He's in the process of going from knowing about God to knowing God. And when that happens, everything changes. It's been 20 years for Jacob. 20 difficult years. But God has not wasted one hour of those 20 years. Romans 8 tells us that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him, to those who are called according to his purpose, that he might conform us to the image of his son. I don't want us to miss this. Jacob learned something during these 20 years of struggle. First of all, Jacob, the deceiver, started to see deception from the other side and realize what that was all about. And although Jacob had to suffer some injustice at the hands of his father-in-law, he has also learned the hard lessons and gained the character that one can only gain by going through difficulty. And now there's a new chapter in his life. Oh, he's not going to be perfect. Don't misunderstand me. That would be boring. He's not going to be perfect. But at least now, he's on his way to becoming a man of God. His trials aren't over. But his life is getting back on track. As he leaves Laban and he heads for the promised land, he is is going with God's blessing. And that's going to make all the difference. He stood at the crossroads and he chose to say yes to God. What crossroads are you standing at? What do you need to say yes to God about, but it's scary, and it's confusing, and it's murky in the distance, and you're not so sure, and it's going to be hard for you? Let me ask a question this way. Do you know God, or do you just know about him? Are you following God, or are you just going to give lip service to him, mention his name from time to time, and and live as though he doesn't exist. Jacob had been doing that for a long time. But today he stands at a crossroads. You and I will never know how great a life can be until we make the right decision at those crossroads of life. When God is speaking to us and we know what his will is and we need to have enough trust in him to do it. We're never gonna know what abundant life is all about until we begin to walk on the path that he calls us to. And that's gonna take a decision on your part because he won't force it. He gives you free will. You may have made some bad choices at important crossroads already in your life. In fact, if you haven't, Well, you have. (laughs) We've all made some bad choices at important crossroads. We've all had some time where, where God's will was clear in one direction and we went in the other direction. Let me just encourage you for a second. That doesn't mean the game is over. There's more crossroads ahead. There's going to be more opportunities where God is going to keep speaking to you because he loves you. And you're going to have a choice about which road to take again. Now, that may not undo the damage from the crossroads you missed in the past. But you have a future. And God didn't give up on you when you made some wrong choices. I have never known anyone who chose to truly follow Jesus who was sorry. Perhaps you find yourself at a crossroads of some sort in your life in this season right now today. What choice are you going to make? I'm not talking about, you know, should I buy a Honda or a Toyota? I'm not talking about should I wear a blue shirt or a gray shirt? I'm talking about God is speaking to me and I know something needs to change in my life. What decision are you going to make here? Because we're going to watch Jacob's life from this point on, and we're going to see God do miracles. We're going to see God do amazing things. We're going to see God bring about his will for all of mankind. And if you just run back the tape and follow the trails, at some point you get to this place where you see Jacob at this crossroads on this day, and his choice to follow God made all the difference. Which direction are you going to walk? Robert Frost, two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by. And that has made all the difference. I think he maybe had read Jacob's story. Let's stand and pray together. Father, we just want to thank you so much for your goodness, your grace, and your faithfulness. We thank you that though we have stood at these crossroads before, and and we don't have a perfect track record at these crossroads, you still have a perfect track record as God. You haven't lost sight of us, you haven't given up on us, you haven't turned away from us, and you continue calling us to walk with you. And so I pray for everybody right now who is just struggling and going, yeah, I know there's an issue that God's been talking to me about. God, will you just please infuse them with Holy Spirit Ferrari power to say yes to you and to take the right track. Father, some of us have been on the wrong track for a very long time and there's a a history of mess left behind us. Father, we thank you that you're not only able to heal, but you're able to give new life. So from this point forward, let us walk by that road less traveled called the narrow way. And as we do, let us experience you. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.